Welcome to a new space dedicated to biculturalism. A space to gather conversations, resources, and perspectives for everyone who wants to delve into the world of dual identity. I'm Natanya Hoffman, and you're listening to The Extra Half. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 12. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we're on Patreon.com. It's a website through which you can support us directly with a monthly donation. If you want to be one of our very first supporters, you can head to patreon.com slash the extra half after you finish listening. This week's guests are sisters Martina and Costanza Pereira. They're Italian and Argentinian and grew up in Germany, the Netherlands, and in Portugal. Martina is studying at the Nuova Accademia delle Belle Arti in Milano, while Costanza studied at Warwick University in the London School of Economics, currently serving as marketing coordinator at NBC Universal Media. We talk about what it means to grow up as a third culture kid, the challenges of frequently starting a new life, and the special bonds formed along the way, as well as how to bring one's multiculturalism to the table and to the workplace as a positive force. Here's the conversation. Hi, Costanza. Hi, Martina. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question we always like to start with is, when people ask you where you're from, what's the short answer? What's the long answer, and what do you usually tell people? Costanza here. I usually start by saying, by asking them a question, and I say, what do you want to know, the long answer or the short answer? Um, (laughs) And then if they say short answer, I say, I'm Italian-Argentinian. And if they say, okay, I've got time, tell me your story, I tell them, well, I'm half Italian, half Argentinian, but kind of Portuguese because I've lived in Portugal for ages, but we've traveled around the world. So yeah, that's basically what we kind of say. Well, with me, um, as soon as I get asked that question, my answer is always, it's complicated because I never know what the answer is, what I should answer, because um, I feel like I'm not from anywhere, like I'm kind of from all over the world. So, yes, my short answer is always I'm half Italian, half Argentinian. Um, But then I always um, say that I've lived in Portugal for many years, so I feel like I'm mostly Portuguese. So, yes, it's a bit confusing. And where are your parents living now? Um, So our dad is currently residing in Lisbon, Portugal. He works there. And our mom... Uh, returned to Florence after 20 years of being away um, and she's living and working in Florence. And can you each give me a little bit more of your timeline because how many years are you apart in terms of age? Three years and a half, almost four. Yeah, so I'm 24 um, and my sister is 20. 20. Okay, and so... Um, where were you both born? Were you born in the same place? And how did those three and a half, four years shift your perception of, of who you are in terms of just where you were living at which age? Well, um, so we were both born in Florence and my sister got to spend a little bit more time in Florence. She was basically raised until she was three years old in Florence. Uh, I was born and we, when I was eight months old, we moved to Germany due to my dad's job so I've never really lived here um except for now when I moved to Milan for my studies Uh, I don't think it changes much just because we kind of lived the same experiences we were so young and And we we both started school in Germany so I mean you know those three years it was kindergarten time for me in Florence so I only technically started um, you know, you're one in Germany. So it didn't change much. I think for my sister, what changed the most was the fact that when she started speaking, um, she obviously had three languages to juggle with. So Italian, Spanish and German. And my parents at the time, they had just moved to Germany. Um, they didn't really understand all of the things that she was trying to communicate to them. Instead, for me, I already had very good established Italian and Spanish before I started German. So I think there it was a bit more difficult for Martina to get used to, you know, communicating with her parents. Interesting. Yeah. And what 
I mean, what was the kind of strategy around language in the family? Who spoke what to whom? Has that evolved? And what language do you speak with one another now? Um, it's it's actually very funny <laughs> because we um, look crazy when we speak to each other because we speak, we basically say one sentence in like three different languages. I guess it's just the way we think. For example, when I when I'm thinking of something, for example, when I'm thinking of a mathematical equation, I think in English. When I talk to my sister, I sometimes think of words in Portuguese or in Italian. It really depends. Um, I feel like my parents never really had a strategy. I think they did. In in I think in Germany they had to. You know, it got to a point where. Our parents ended up talking to a psychologist, actually. I don't think you remember this because you were too small. But they spoke to a psychologist and they said, our daughter, she doesn't want to, she only speaks to us in German. And it's getting to the point where she isn't talking at all. Like you went on a talking strike. You stopped talking with everyone. You were so tiny. Um, and the psychologist told them, well, it's because you're literally overwhelming her with so many languages. She's going to her kindergarten and they speak German. But then she comes home and she doesn't have enough time to speak Spanish and Italian with you guys. So you guys should maybe drop one language. So my dad ended up saying, you know what, we can drop Spanish. And Italian became the household language that we were talking in our day to day. Um, so I think we suffered, you know, with some vocabulary loss in terms of, you know, Spanish and accent. But then we quickly caught up again, because as soon as we started growing, we ourselves were interested in you know, um, being more in touch with our South American family. So we really wanted our Spanish to be good enough to be able to communicate with them. So we just brought it back up. Wow. And what happened in the end to the German? Do you still speak and understand it now? And do you feel that at all as a part of yourself? Nope, not at all. I feel like I have never even been in contact with that culture just because um, well, it depends, really. Um, I feel like I'm a bit of a cold person, uh, more than my sister and the rest of my family. Um, and I feel like it probably comes from the German culture where I was raised and also the Dutch culture, um, I feel like. But uh, no, I don't remember any of it. I feel like my sister remembers some words. She catches up some phrases, but I have no idea. I don't know any German. I've been, I've just started watching a new show on Netflix, actually. Um, and I was talking to my boss earlier because obviously we're always expanding territories at work and um, in terms of reach for our DreamWorks channel. And we're all looking to expand in more countries in Europe. And I said, listen, every day now I'm watching this new show called Dark. I don't know if it's a new show, but I started it. So for me, it's new. Um, and it's originally German. And I put it in German with English subtitles. So I'm forcing myself to learn it again. And it's crazy how quickly you can pick it back up. So hopefully in a couple of months time, I'll be back and I'll know my German, but we'll see. Interesting how that works. It's so much easier to pick it back up again because there are sounds and there's just things like accents. You know, when you try and pronounce something, it comes out so much more easy. And, um, even the the sequence of things, you know, when you're trying to put a sentence together, um, it's just so much easier. Like German numbers, you know, when you're talking about numbers, they're the other way around to English. So instead of saying 21, you say 120, you know, and for someone that's never learned the language before, you wouldn't really know that. Instead, for us, if, it, if we were to pick it back up, it's kind of automatic. So there's that perk. And um, Martina, you were just talking a little bit about... Um, coldness also in contrast to warmth with different kinds of cultures being in different ways and having different um, almost characteristics that they they might give to you as a person. Um, do you both feel different depending on where you are and especially which language you're speaking? I feel like when I'm in Europe, I don't change as to who I am. Like I never change, I feel like, but um, uh, in this context... Uh, but when I go to Latin America, for example, I think I, I change a little bit. I feel like I'm a bit more of a warm person just because Latin people are so warm and they love hugging and kissing and contact between humans, which is not something I love. 
not because um I just I've I've never really been that way with anyone also because we used to come from Nordic countries so for me um as soon as I moved to Portugal I was still small I was seven years old no six years old turning seven and people would come over and give you a kiss uh, without even knowing you I would be like okay what are you doing this is not normal like please stay away um and now obviously for me it isn't normal if I see someone and I don't give them a kiss on the cheek, even though I don't know them. And even being, you know, in the UK for six years now, it hasn't changed for me. For me, it's so strange not to be spontaneously huggy and touchy. Um, not over the top, obviously, with so many boundaries, but um, even with people at work, if there's a colleague who I'm really close to, for me, it would be so normal to greet them after not seeing them for five months due to quarantine, for example, and not give them a hug. But for them, it's quite normal to just wave, you know, two meters apart, which is the best thing to do now. But, you know, it's, um, it takes some getting used to, I think. Definitely. Yeah, I was reading somewhere um, that in Latin America, the culture is more relationship-based. And, and I, it was funny, the thing that I was reading was saying that um, it might be considered strange, for instance, in, in Germany to come late to a meeting because the last meeting ran over, whereas perhaps in other countries it might be strange to cut a meeting short if you're in the middle of having a conversation and feeling the warmth of one another um, just because you have another meeting, because, I mean you know, that'll come when it comes. Is that something you can relate to? Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Especially because we, we've studied in an international environment our whole lives. Um, so we feel um, the British culture all the time. Well, not right now because I'm studying in Italy, but I, I felt the British culture a lot when I used to study in international schools. Um, and I feel like it was it was exactly like that. Um, they weren't really it's not that they weren't really interested in what you were saying, but um, they have a strict uh, time schedule that they follow. And yes, when a meeting's done, it's it's done. They don't really um, want to connect. I, I, I actually disagree with that because having lived in in the UK now for over you know for more than 5 years you kind of understand that it's just because they're more yes they're more structured but they're way more organized and i think if you're organized you don't have to cut things short because you give everything enough time if that makes sense so if you're organized, you arrive on time, but you also leave on time. Instead, when you're passionate and Latin, but overly Latin, let's say, like imagine a doctor's appointment. There's not even one time in my lifetime in Portugal that my doctor was on time to an appointment that I booked, you know? And supposedly you book so that you arrive at a certain time. And I'm not saying polite five, 10 minute, even 15 minute delay. I'm talking about like, at least 45 minutes to an hour. So I understand what my sister says. And I think that I felt that way more when I was, you know, attending a British international school in Portugal, because the Portuguese are extremely slow um, in a funny way, but also seriously, they're extremely slow. If you want to do something quickly in Portugal, forget it. Um, so, you know, when I arrived to the UK, I, I thought, okay, they're overly simplifying everything. But then I kind of got used to it. And I understood that it's more just, if you stick to the schedule, then everything is on time, and you'll just have enough time to do everything. It's just a matter of organization. Hmm. I always find that so funny, because like, also in Italy, I mean, it's a little different. But oftentimes, things are like 30, 45 minutes late. But they're so often 30, 45 minutes late that you just wonder, couldn't we just, couldn't we have just scheduled it for 30, 45 minutes later? Four, like, 45 just... minutes later? Yes, I agree. <laughs> I know. I always get that one that when I go to Italy. I mean, and it depends on the thing, obviously. Also, I remember going to Mexico with some friends and them talking about how, okay, like this and this and this is probably going to be late. This and this and this is going to be late. But if you go to an exam, everyone's going to be on time. And it's like, okay, like you first have to sit with that and figure out when each thing is actually going to happen. It's crazy. 
And also to understand, like, why is it socially acceptable to be late for some things, but then, you know, it's do or die when it comes to an exam. Like, of course, you'd never be late for an exam, but then why would you be late to a meeting? You know, it just makes no sense. It's so peculiar. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I was talking about Latin cultures, it was interesting that you both referred straight away to Portugal. I'm just wondering, what are some of the similarities that you feel between Portugal and Argentina from your time in both places? I think the only thing that they have in common is obviously any Latin country in Europe. So, for example, even Italy. I mean, for us, it's a bit it's challenging to see eye to eye when people say Italy and Argentina are exactly the same because they're both Latin countries. We we disagree because we think that within the spectrum of being Latin, Italy is on one side and Argentina is, it tends towards the other, not to an extreme, but it does. So because obviously Argentina is highly influenced by European culture, obviously, you know, Spain and Italy, it also has a lot of German culture. Um, so it's not like, I don't know, Mexico, for example, or even Brazil, where it's the the Latin culture is even stronger in Argentina, you know, where they're mostly at this point white and they have blonde hair and they have green or blue eyes. And a lot of our friends from Europe, you know, when they say, oh, you're Argentinian, I thought you were like um, indigenous. And we're like, no, well, you know, it really depends. There's Argentina has a lot, a lot of, of different looking people. But I think that in terms of similarities between Argentina and Portugal, again, the warmth, it's at a different level, but I think the warmth is still there. And, and the kind of the, the overreaction to little things, which is cute, you know, like the telenovela style drama, if your mother's cooking or your dad is cooking and you don't really feel like eating right now, but you don't say no, you say, yeah, I'll eat in a bit. They're like, what do you mean you'll eat in a bit? You don't like what I cooked? So it's that kind of thing. I think that's really similar in both Latin cultures. And pivoting back to your own particular experiences, um, was there ever a period of your life in which biculturalism seemed like something a little difficult to manage or, or a weight on you in some way? I think so, yes. Um, for, for, I mean in the least negative ways, because yeah. it's obviously so beautiful. We've had so much to gain from this, you know. Um, but I think when you're growing up, especially in your teenage years, and you don't really know where you're from, I mean, you know that you come from a country or the other, or from half-half or a quarter, whatever. But when it comes down to showing and portraying your cultural, many times even cultural values or opinions or or rituals, we never really had that growing up because our parents were always really open and they always really let us kind of just soak in whatever we had from wherever we were at the time. So, you know, like my sister said, she brought a lot of uh, German traits to Portugal um, and or to the Netherlands, which is where we moved after Germany and then from the Netherlands to Portugal. And I brought a lot of Portuguese traits to the UK that never left me. But I think that when it came down to our teenage years, it was extremely difficult because your friends are have been friends for a lifetime and they all like the same things most of the time. They all do the same things and they all used to talk about, you know, remember that one time where we did this or when I was a kid, I used to watch this show. And me and my sister never really had an idea because we used to watch German TV. I feel like... Um... For me, yeah, I agree with everything that my sister said. I just feel like our life was um, a little bit inconsistent just because um, the countries where we lived in, like all the countries where we lived in are so not compatible just because, for example, going from Germany to to Holland was was not that big of a change, but going from Holland to Portugal was like a cultural shock just because it's completely different. Everything is different. The culture is different. The people are different. Everything is so different. Obviously, that set us up for life because we can even go to China or wherever we are in the world and we will adapt to anything. But yeah, it is true. It was a bit hard to obviously restart our life all over again every time we had to move countries. Um I noticed for me, the hardest was two years ago when I moved to Milan, not because the countries are that different, but 
I was living, obviously I moved to a country that I've never lived before in a city which I wasn't familiar with. People I didn't know, I didn't know anyone at the time. I was living completely by myself with two flatmates that I had never met before. So everything was so weird for me um, that it took me a while to adapt to your own culture, to, basically. Yeah, to my own culture, just because I didn't identify myself with with Italy and Italians, um, and also because we finally settled in Portugal, we made our friend groups, we met so many people, we kind of um, created our own little family, which we we kind of had to do during the years because every time we wanted to go see a family member, the same goes for right now because every time we want to go see a family member we need to catch a plane to see each other because the four of us are completely separated um we created our own family which was sad to leave behind and now I have to start that all over again you know so it was a bit challenging and um Costanza when we were talking just a little while ago uh, Martina was talking about identifying especially within Europe as an international person I was wondering do you also feel that way or do you feel more tied to specific cultures um I think that I'm extremely passionate about Argentina about Italy about Portugal still remaining highly critical of each I think that's the beauty of moving around is that you can be extremely passionate about a country but you can also be extremely honest and open about its flaws but I think that as a in my day-to-day yes I identify myself as international and not from one place because regardless of where anyone can be from in the world if they've moved around like we have there's just this shared understanding that no one else will understand. Not an Argentinian that's only lived in Argentina, not an Italian that's only lived in Italy. With me, I would be way more compatible with someone, for example, who's from Taiwan and they grew up in the States, but then also moved to somewhere in Europe or even someone Argentinian who moved to London and then moved around, we would be way more compatible. I remember my mom was telling me once about Italians um, because I remember asking about a community of Italians in Ohio where I was growing up. And she said, you know, there are the Italians that stay and the Italians that go. And it's true that there's absolutely a shared understanding among people who have had similar life experiences that it's just really hard when you go back to your original country, you know, if you have one. But going back to that original culture, it's kind of hard to to put the same roots that one had before, I think. Definitely. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about career and about your work, and um, maybe it would be nice to start with with you, Martina. What has been your process of re-understanding yourself as an Italian in Italy? Has there been an evolution in the past few years there? I feel like no matter how many years I will spend in Italy, I don't, I, I don't think I will ever feel 100% Italian just because... Um, I I just I I was not raised here. I am raising basically myself here, um, without my parents. So I feel like that changes a lot of things. I feel like you come from a place where your parents raised you, of course. So I feel like I'm more Portuguese, but then I'm not, and then I'm a little bit, you know, Italian, but then I'm not. So I feel like I'm a bit all over the place. So I don't really know what to answer because I'm just my I'm so confused um but what I can say is that obviously it was nice to finally get in touch with my with my roots and my culture um and obviously I've made a lot of friends in Milan um who are Italian a lot of them are also international who who live the same way I basically lived for the past 20 years so I guess I feel home in a way just because you have people that understand you. Um, but then, of course, there are just some things that I don't identify myself with. Um, but I will eventually get used to that. 
in a couple of years. I'm pretty sure I'm going to stay in Milan for for a couple of years. I want to eventually do a master's in Milan and then start working and then from there I'll see. But I'm definitely not going to live in Milan for the rest of my life. And obviously, due to us changing all the time, I feel like I won't be able to live in one place for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to move yeah, I feel places too. like all the time. I feel like I'm just going to get bored after three years. So I'm just going to have to find a job which will allow me to move <laughs> a lot. So, yeah. That's so interesting um, that, that you feel both the weight and heaviness of, of moving around and changing, but then also kind of the... The necessity and thinking toward the future is that something that you would want to raise your kids in as well I don't know I guess I'll have to see things change in a matter of like seconds so I don't know um but I feel like I'd have to see with my future companion <laughs> <laughs> what he also decides to do where our jobs bring us there's a lot of things in between so I can't say um precisely but it's something that I would like my children to experience just not as much as we did I think I agree with her I would like to you know here comes my British side I'd love to give my kids just a bit more logical structure I feel like a lot of things that we went through were so unnecessarily complicated such as going from Italy to Germany without even speaking the language and I was thrown into German school. I did pro I did the first year in Germany, my first year of school. Um, and then I moved to the Netherlands and my parents put me in an international school where I spoke English, but I went from first year to third year because, and I skipped second year because obviously the, the age didn't work out in Germany. The educational system starts a year later And so it's really difficult when you move countries and you go to an international school where they started a year earlier, you're kind of left behind unless you skip. Um, I think the only thing that my sister and I really want, which is obviously not something anyone would ever want, wish upon themselves, but we definitely said, let's make sure that if we get married and we have kids, we don't get a divorce and we don't split countries because that just brings a whole other layer to it you know when your parents live in two different countries and they're separated it makes it much harder if they're in the same country it's less stressful yeah I can totally relate to that I have um, some cello students actually who go from mom to dad with a bus which is great um, but yeah my parents live on different continents so <laughs> not so easy that's even worse yeah. like we can't even complain It's been tough with COVID. I'll, yeah, that's for sure. But I mean, yeah. for all of us. And I think splitting the time equally because you want to split the time equally. You don't want to be unfair to one parent and to the other. But then your own life gets in the way, you know, and there's things that you just can't predict, such as COVID, such as what do you do with your job, with your studies, or what if you want to take a vacation, you know, and it's not with your friends, but you happen to be closer to your mom than to your dad. Will your dad get mad you know it's so complicated yeah 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 so martina you're studying at the nuova accademia delle belle arti what's your major actually uh i'm majoring in architecture and design i'll have the title of an architect but then i'll be a licensed interior designer that's my goal and how did you come to that direction I mean when did you know that that's what you wanted to do and is that something that throughout international school you were already thinking about um how did you decide to go to Milano um I I didn't know I was going to study in Milan I didn't know I was going to study architecture that was not uh, within my plans I wanted to study fine arts but the course was just so independent So I thought of things and I was like, okay, I can just paint and draw whenever I feel like at home as a hobby. And I want to study something that can possibly like open more doors in the future. So I decided to go for architecture. Great. And Costanza, you are a couple years older, which means you've also finished school and you've gotten solidly into professional career. So you are a marketing coordinator at NBC Universal Media, usually working in London, currently um, because of COVID, working from Florence, right? Yeah, so I basically escaped London um, back in March because I, 
I'm someone who likes to be quite close to her family and you know I don't realistically I don't get to see my parents or my sister a lot during the year so I thought you know if this thing is going to break out and it really is going to take a while I'd rather go back home if I have the chance and because luckily NBC is such a global company that they shut down the office as soon as possible you know this was like first week of March we were one of the first um and it hasn't reopened in the sense that we're all working from home but we were all free to go back home um and they're not putting pressure at us on us at all to go back so it's been kind of great i was i flew to portugal and i spent almost 5 months in portugal and then last month i flew to italy to be with my mom so i'm still working from here and can you tell us a little bit about your work and how you got to where you are today I studied theater and performance at the University of Warwick. That was my undergraduate degree. And then um because both our parents have PhDs, they, you know, in the nicest way possible, they put quite a bit of pressure on you, you know, you getting um a couple more things in there. And so before I even finished, my dad was like you're definitely doing a master's degree because rightly so, you know, in the rest of your in the UK it's not really um something that you need to take off your list in order to get a job but if you go to Italy, Portugal, France, wherever you want in Europe, Germany, it's kind of important to have at least four years of education if you want to find, you know, secure yourself a good job that you're that allows you to self-sustain yourself because obviously we, it's not like I have my own house in London, you know, I pay an extortionate amount of rent. So the job has to be decent. Um And so I decided to apply to a master's at LSE and I did two years there and I did a, a master's in media and communications which is journalism basically and I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with some sort of performativity but um not being able to just act without getting paid I had to do something that would you know pay me monthly um and I've always loved NBC I love NBC News. I grew up watching all of their shows. You know, we're a massive as I said global company. So we own pretty much uh, you know a lot of media outlets and a lot of things, shows and and movies and the production of Universal is just huge. So I thought this is a dream company for me to start in. If I even get in, that would be an amazing, you know, step in the door within the media industry. And I did. I got into marketing and I'm working for NBC and Dreamworks which I think you probably must have heard of it's you know we do the good cartoons um and yeah I got in as an intern and I interned with them for a year and then almost two months ago I got promoted to coordinator which was such a blessing considering the times that we're in um so yeah I'm very grateful wow And you were telling me a little bit about your work um as creative content strategy co-chair for the Young Professional Network. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like, how that project started and what are some of the things that you're doing right now? Yeah, so the YPN which is the Young Professional Network, it's an ERG group that um was created back in the States and um one one of my colleagues, Taylor Hotbit and Nakeem and Kenji two of my other colleagues they basically brought it to the UK about a year almost two years ago and it was you know we had the purpose of getting as many young um professionals within the company interconnected and really trying to thrive off of each other because we felt like as much as the company supports our develop our professional and personal development um we were lacking more opportunity we're we're always hungry for more at NBC I think you know all of the young professionals that that join really want to make a difference in so many different ways and it's not just in their day-to-day -day jobs but it's for others and you know for the people around you and even people outside of the industry um so I am now the co-chair for the creative content strategy team as part of the young professional network and obviously that's to kind of you know work on my journalistic skills and and creative skills that I don't get to practice so much on my day to day at Dreamworks 
Um, and it's just been amazing because we connect with everyone, so many colleagues around the world, so many young people, even interns that just start. And we try and create a, a an open and receptive environment for change, for opportunity. And and it's been great. We've We've been doing a lot of initiatives. Great. And did you tell me before while we were preparing this this conversation that one of those projects is a podcast? Yes. So we started a podcast, um, which is only available internally for now, actually. But it's really interesting because it's for global NBC employees and it's gained so much traction. We basically interview people that are higher up in the business, you know, no matter who it is, we the broader, the better. Um, so that they can give us a little bit of context on their roles, but also how they got there, what they believed in when they were younger and and the paths that they decided to take um, so that we're all kind of seen as more human, you know, because you have your CEO who may seem like this untouchable God that you hear about, but you never actually get to speak to or have a conversation with. And instead, the podcast kind of breaks down that wall and it allows everyone to see how similar we all are and how different we all are and and for us to all learn from each other and make this whole experience less daunting considering that the media industry is one of the most competitive industries to start working in Mm. and I think that podcasting is such an interesting medium just like you were saying breaking down barriers I think that if you can have someone's voice in your ear and on top of that if they're opening up about things that are important to them I always feel like I get to know people so, so much better through that. So that's been a real discovery for me personally throughout the last couple of years. What a direct connection that can that can create and establish. So that's really great that you guys are doing that. And going back to your work in general, do you feel like cultural sensitivity and also cultural connectivity play a large role in your work? Do you see biculturalism at play as an asset within what you do? 100%, at least if I don't see it, I try to push for it as much as I can. And I feel like being young within the company, that's kind of my role, you know, is 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 educating and teaching people about other people's cultures and about where I've lived. And um, even with the simple things about how you eat something or what you put in the food when we're at having lunch with each other or even just working or um, ways of presenting or pitching to clients. I think all of that is is so important. And um, one of the perks, you know, about having lived in, in a couple of different countries and always having had international friends is that I can bring a lot of that kind of um, multicultural conversation to the table and push for it, you know, even represent another friend or a culture if they're not present. And I try to keep that I think that's kind of one of my main goals in life you know is to is to spread multiculturalism as much as I can because in my opinion that kind of knowledge is the most powerful thing um and if we have it we need to manifest it and at work um we're quite international which already helps a lot because we all share our ideas and there isn't one way that's correct you can have many different pathways that lead to the correct answer or to the correct um, outcome that you want to obtain. However, being able to mix and match different opinions and cultures and experiences just makes, it allows you to produce such um, impactful content. Mm. Yeah, that makes me think of kind of cherry picking. I mean, in this sense, we absolutely can and should cherry pick if certain groups of people through whichever process and whichever background have come up with great innovative solutions. Those are the ones that we need to be going for. And it's really useful for the brain to be able to switch between ways of being to really extrapolate um, the knowledge that's kind of most relevant at any given time. So definitely, I think we need to be extremely receptive Um because I think that's part of it, you know, the biggest part is to learn from others and not to be the only person that's enforcing your own views. So number one, first and foremost, is always listening to what other people have to say, but then also bring what your experience to the table. It's the best of both worlds. And speaking of kind of passing along information, 
is there anything, either a book or a film or a podcast or an article that you would recommend either of you that either helps explain part of who you are or what you feel or was very helpful for you within your own evolution? I feel like talking to people that have experienced the same thing um, makes me feel like there are people that are pretty much the same as us. I haven't really read anything which made me identify myself with it that much, if I'm explaining myself properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my point of view. For me, um, the past few years, I've obviously listened to a lot of podcasts. One of my favorite ones is CNN does a podcast called Amanpour, and it's with Christiane Amanpour. And she basically talks about the global affairs and she uh, interviews different people every day. And it's extremely informative. It's great. Amanpour, she's amazing. Um, she's one of my favorite reporters of all time. Um, and I think that's definitely something that people internationally can tune into just to get reliable information. That's also fun to hear because she's also a uh, She's, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, half Iranian, half British. So she's also, you know, got this kind of um, international background, which is always great to hear someone, um, you know, in news outlets talk, you know, that's also quite international. Then I recommend the Harvard Business Review. It's HBR podcast. Um, I love that one because it it's pushing people globally to talk about people's strengths and how we can overcome uh, certain current circumstances such as COVID or such as a recession, for example. And it just looks at global outlooks of startups. So it's really, really great. It provides a lot of food for thought. And then lastly, a book that I've just read, it's called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And it's by, I believe her name is Rennie Edo Lodge. I hope I'm Saying, pronouncing it correctly um and I think it's a great book for all international uh kids and young adults to to read I think it's extremely crucial at a time like today you know where you've got the Black Lives Matter movement going on and and I think to be able to maintain its traction and to make it grow and to spread more awareness we as international kids really should be held accountable um for the way the for our own responsibilities, you know, um, and I think this book can really shape and open up our own um, understanding of other people's experiences, you know, because you may be extremely international um, and multicultural, but you don't you're not from exactly everywhere. So you it's impossible for you to be completely in touch with someone else's experience. It's just impossible. So this book allows you to kind of open up to other people's experiences and trying to represent them when their voices are being silenced. What you bring up is really interesting. Um, I think that definitely as multicultural kids or bicultural kids, we grow up with this kind of extra way of processing information but that's definitely not an end that's only a means and we have to keep on getting the information and any kind of skills that we have in terms of empathy that we've been developing for other reasons we need to continue to develop and I think another thing that is really important is that you know being multicultural can mean different things to different people and people create this journey for different reasons um, and I think that both of my family and your family perhaps have had the luxury of being able to see different cultures um, on their brighter sides. I think we absolutely do have a responsibility to to make our community as broad as possible and not to turn our backs. Um, there's a there's actually a quote from her book which says solidarity is nothing but self-satisfying if it's solely performative. And I think that, you know, it screams to me personally because performativity is something that I've, I've studied, you know, um, at university. But I, I think it's something that we really need to take at heart. You know, we can't just be doing something because everyone else is doing it. 
and because it's a tendency or because we believe it's what's right, we really need to feel it. And if we want to really make a difference and educate people about other people's experiences, not just our own, we have to make sure that we we educate ourselves and we root ourselves in their shoes and we try to, as much as possible, explain to others um, what's going on. So definitely, I agree with you. Hmm. It reminds me, I don't remember where I saw this. It was somewhere on social media. And I think the, the, there was a picture of, I think, Princess Charlotte. And the cap, the caption was, oh, Princess Charlotte speaks three languages and is only two years old. And someone wrote under it, yeah, so do most immigrants, but nobody cares. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. You know, uh, media sheds the light on so many silly things and but that's life, you know. I don't think we've we're really far from the place where everyone is treated equally, everyone is given the same opportunities, and everyone is rewarded or even acknowledged for for the good things that they do. You know, it's very biased. It's true, but one thing that I always come back to that I find fascinating is that you know it, it doesn't. It's we we shouldn't take for granted the fact that humans always do strive for fairness and equality within their own small circles. Now, we can, you know, think about politics and the wider world. And a lot of times people only think about their inner circle um, and forget about the rest of the world. But in general, like we do have this inner compass. All humans have it. Um, and that's something remarkable. Um, we just need to, you know, keep on working with the humility of knowing that we're not going to change the world and the drive of knowing that we have to we have to try <laughs> exactly for ourselves and for others hey it's me again we had a small technical issue which kept the last question from being recorded it's what we end all our episodes with any advice for multicultural couples with small children since our guests are by definition a product of such relationships here are their answers so one thing um, I get asked a lot is, um, so what does your dad do? Uh, and when they find out they really want to do my dad's job or they want to follow like um, diplomacy, so meaning moving around countries. And my answer is always, um, if you want to do that as a living, I would suggest you not to have a family because I feel like, yes, we have a lot of traits that we brought with us and we are very lucky to have lived the way that we lived and were raised the way that we were raised but it was very very difficult i feel like if anyone wants to follow um the path of changing countries that's fine just bring some consistency to it um and just help your kids to find a stable environment so they can grow up and just until like they get through the teenage years which are the hardest so yeah that would be my suggestion is just bring some consistency to the madness to, yeah to the madness nowadays it's it's kind of challenging to give advice to a future parent because the world is so interconnected and it's so globalized um for us i think the experience was it's part of our generation and our generation only because there were still many limitations when it came to traveling, you know, you didn't have low cost um, companies, airplane companies that you could fly with like for 30 euros, go to another city over the weekend or even FaceTime or iPhones, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have that. So with my friends, I completely lost touch because we were writing letters to each other. And at the end of the day, that stopped working eventually. Um, so for nowadays, I don't know what kind of advice I'd give. But yes, I agree with my sister. Definitely, as hard as it is to try and find um, a little bit of structure before you start moving around and just living the life in different countries, at least try and plan a little bit ahead as much as possible just so that the the changes that you make and that you bring upon your kids will sort of make sense in the long-term future. So if you're going to be moving around, consider moving to a city where there's an international school that your kids can continuously um, attend, you know, not not just an English or French school or an, even an Italian or German school, whatever it is, just make sure that there is that available for them so that they don't have to be repeating years or skipping years or 
learning three languages at the same time because that's so overwhelming. But apart from that, do it because I think you will really create kids that are so they lack in in some things that kids that have stayed in the same country all their lives have, but they gain so many more other things that are so valuable and so admired by everyone. Hmm. And I have a follow-up question for you, actually, because I was just talking to a friend a couple of days ago, and I was talking to her about how I feel like my friendships tend to be the kind where there's not much communication for a long time, and then there is a long period of deep conversation when we do see each other. And she was saying that she's the opposite. Um, And I was saying that I thought maybe it had to do with moving around a lot as a kid that I felt like since a lot of times um, I wasn't able to connect because like you were saying, technology was different. It would have had to be letters or long distance phone calls once a year or something, but that that really shaped the way that my friendships are. Do you think that might've had an influence on yours as well? A hundred percent. I think that my closest friends, uh, whether it's, you know, my girlfriends or my guy friends, um, no matter where we are in the world, no matter how little we speak, we have such a special and unique bond. We'll all go to each other's weddings. We'll, we'll catch a plane if they call you, you know, if they call me, any one of my friends. And they're like, I really need you to come over. I have the situation. I'm not thinking about it twice. I'm going. I think there's such a unique bond. And we value our friendship so much that when we're together, we make the most of it completely and no day is wasted. And I think distance makes the heart grow fonder in a way. If you were with them every day, the experience wouldn't exactly be the same. So I think distance adds a little bit more excitement to it. Thank you, Martina. Thank you, Costanza. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. The Extra Half is created and produced by a small but dedicated team. Thanks to Gilvinas Brazauskas, who's doing the editing and who created performed, and recorded the original music you're hearing right now. Thanks to Jessamine Jones, the graphic designer behind our logo and all the graphics associated with the podcast. If you'd like to get involved, you can log on to anchor.fm slash the extra half and feel free to send us a voice message with questions, comments, or suggestions on what we can do in the future. If you know someone who you think would be a good fit for the podcast, just let us know. Also, please rate and review us on whichever platform you're using, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, or support us directly at patreon.com slash the extra half. Next time, we'll be speaking with Jakob Nierens. Jakob's parents are German and African-American, and he grew up in Lüneburg, Germany. Jakob is a fantastic cellist, and we'll talk about his experience growing up in Germany and studying in the U.S., and his work as a musician as well as an ambassador for a more vibrant, inclusive, and meaningful classical music scene. He sees the future of classical music as not needing any cancelling, but rather quite a bit of adding. These are such important themes for our profession, and I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I'm Natanya Hoffman. You've been listening to The Extra Half. Take care. Until next time. (laughs) 